Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. I'm McCain Vogel, Associate Editor at Cover Crop Strategies. In this episode, listen to a conversation with cover crop expert Steve Groff, who farms in southern Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Steve talks about how he first came up with the idea to grow his Winter King Hairy Vetch, a particularly winter-hardy variety of cover crop that is able to survive repetitive freeze-thaw cycles. Steve, I want to start the interview off the same way I start most of these and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and my favorite question, tell us your ag origin story. So tell us some of your earliest memories of farming. Well, I appreciate this opportunity. And to answer your question, earliest memories of farming, uh, I, I would say this, to preface it all, there's never a day that I really didn't want to do anything other than be a farmer. And I'm a third generation on this particular farm here. So that gives you a little bit of a, a background. Uh, I mean, I remember, you know, at a very young age, five years old, you know, back as far as I can remember, I guess, just helping out. And uh, my parents gave me that opportunity and I, I appreciated it. And to that end, I've tried to, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, continue the legacy with my son. And now he has a son. I'm a grandpa. It's really cool. It's really gratifying to see the multi-generations to be involved. Um, yeah, farm here in uh, Southern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We have a farm of 200 acres, uh, vegetables, hemp, small grains. Everything has been uh, 100% no-till since the mid-90s and very intensively cover crop, which we're going to talk about today. Started my first no-till in 1982. And so I have some fields. This is our 42nd season going into 100% no-till. So really proud of that. I've certainly learned a lot over the over those decades and uh, continue to learn more every day. All right. Well, as you alluded to today, we're going to talk a lot about your Winter King, Harry Vetch. So why don't you give us just kind of a brief overview of it, and then I'll, I'll kind of follow up with some more specifics and we can get into the, uh, the nitty gritty. But tell us just for those who don't know anything about it, give us a brief overview. I never planned to develop a variety of a cover crop. I'm probably more noted for the tillage radish that I developed uh, back in the early 2000s. But even before that, I was beginning to see the value of cover crops. And one of the things in the cover crops that one of the traits of trying to learn how to use them was in the context of, of uh, rolling and crimping cover crops. In 1996, I have what uh, was probably the first specifically designed roller crimper for cover crops that I developed. And what I was looking for at the time was a earlier maturing hairy vetch that was able to terminate with the rolling stalk chopper, the roller crimper that I had. And so I was testing some different genetics for that that were available, and there wasn't many in the mid-90s. But I stumbled upon some that I liked, and I started growing the seed and um, for myself, uh, just to grow grow the seed so I'd have my have it my own. In the early 2000s, I uh, noticed that my variety was drifting to a longer season. Um, it wasn't as short of a season as it was before because I was comparing it to actually their the original where it came from and also some others are coming out in the market. I was working with way back then, Dr. Thomas Devine from Beltsville, uh, Maryland at the Agriculture Research Center. 
he was very interested in researching Harry Vetch. Uh, and later, Stephen Mursky has been doing it. So I was very working very closely with them. And it was about, uh, I'm going to say 2003, 2004, when someone else told me that they had planted some of my genetics and they said it survived the winter where the other Harry Vetch did not. And I said, oh, really? Because uh, I I didn't honestly know that it had, you know, was was a better winter hardy hairy vetch because that's not really what I was trying to do. The other thing I'll mention at this point in my story is I didn't really mind that my variety was drifting to be a longer season because I found out that in managing hairy vetch, a little bit of herbicide goes a long way. Plus, I got the benefit is depending on the spring, depending on my planning schedules, rather than having a vetch bloom earlier, I would rather it go longer uh, and more mature so it could grow more, so it could throw more biomass and hence more nitrogen. So actually, you know, it's one of those things where you you, you, you try things and it, and it kind of works out different, but yet better than you expected. So then when I heard that the variety I had was better winter hardy, uh, it was picked up by Penn State University and the Rodell Institute in years 2006, 2007. I believe those are the correct uh, years. They did a pretty comprehensive study and involved some other universities as, as well around the nation where they used what they called the Groff selection, which was mine, and they compared it to other hairy vetches that were out on the market. And it was basically confirmed that the winter survivability was always near the top. It wasn't consistently the top one, but it was always near the top. And biomass production was very good. Again, not the winner in all the plots, but it, it, gathers, it gathered some attention. So, so that is kind of what I thought, well, I might have something here. That was the time I was also developing the tillage radish, and this is why I mentioned this, because I did not ever intend to develop a variety for the hairy vetch, but I did with the tillage radish, and I understood how this works and how it needs to be done. A lot of people don't understand that to create a variety, a plant variety protected variety, a PVP variety, you have to go through essentially an official documentation and simply what that means is you need to demonstrate that your variety, whatever you're working on, that there's two, at least two distinct phenotype differences than other similar varieties on the market. So I was able to do that. And it was it was not hard to prove that um, that my variety was uh, was better. I'll, I'll say a little caveat. Uh, the first year we did this, the my variety survived the winter and all the other ones did not, which I thought, well, that's awesome. Proves my point. But in the context of the way things are required to do, they had to do the experiment or the, the research again, basically to prove it. And so it was delayed a year because of that. Uh, and you have to do, you know, official licensed seed breeders to, to do all this stuff. A lot of people don't understand what's behind all this. And, and that's why I'm sharing this here. So finally, was able to get it plant variety protected, um, and I have that patent on it. Um, so then I started continuing to, um, well, I'll just stop right here and say one thing. Why did um, my variety develop 
a stronger winter hardiness because I'm not the coldest part of the country by far. I'm in southeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, we've just been redesignated to zone 7A in the winter hardiness zone, in case anybody understands that and knows what that is. So I'm not, we have snow cover on and off uh, through the winter and, you know, all those factors that winter, winter survivability. But it was during a, a, um, a time where I tested some varieties from, uh, many of you know, Dwayne Beck. And Dwayne Beck sent me some lentils, some winter lentils that he said, these work great in um, South Dakota. You ought to try them in Pennsylvania. I tried them. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, if they survive South Dakota winters, this is a piece of cake. They did not survive my Pennsylvania winter. And that left us scratching our heads two years in a row. And we came to the conclusion that it's because of the multiple freeze-thaw cycles that I have in my area is where the winter hardiness trait was being developed, not coldness trait. Because, again, I'm not the coldest. Um, and those who grow alfalfa understand this because that's a big thing with alfalfa. Uh, they call it heaving when uh, the ground freezes, it expands, and the roots tear off, and it kills the, a perennial like an alfalfa. So you have to breed that trait into it. So we got to thinking, maybe this is the selection that was used. You see, most hairy vetch, almost all hairy vetch, has been bred in climates that don't have a lot of freeze-thaw cycles. A lot of it's been bred by Auburn down in Alabama and in Oregon. And Oregon doesn't have as much freeze-thaw cycles as I do here in my location. So that is, we think, why. And I actually looked up, and this was a little difficult to find, but I looked up where are the most freeze-thaw cycles in the United States. And I did run across uh, a report on that. And yes, right where we're located here in southeastern Pennsylvania, we have some of the most, the highest number of freeze-thaw cycles of anywhere there is. So, you know, when you're out in the Midwest, and you can get, you know, 10 below zero, 15 below zero, wind chill and all that, you know, the, the ground is frozen solid for sometimes months at a time. Uh, there's not a lot of freeze-thaw cycles except for the very beginning in the fall and the end in the spring. And then a lot of times there's snow cover, and that's a, another variable. So I know I'm getting long-winded here, but it's it's an interesting part of the story of, of how this uh, how this developed. So you may have some questions, but then I can I can follow through with how I got it, uh, the variety and everything, the name and all. Yeah, so good start. So just to clarify, I guess it's just the fluctuation kind of in temperature uh, in the East Coast more so than somewhere like the, the Dakotas or yeah. Wisconsin or whatever that kind of gives it that survivability. Is that right? That's what I'm almost 100% convinced why this continues to work and um, why why this trait was spread in and, and really the only way you can do it unless you do it in a highly controlled situation is in these actual regions. And this is this is a case here for what we use now epigenetics uh, term that that you you crops will start to uh, drift toward uh, the propensity to survive in a given climate. So it's a case in point. Now that doesn't mean they can just be used here because they my my variety has been used all across the U.S. and I'm I'm not claiming that it is uh, the best cold survivor, because that's not what I selected it for. But there is a relationship to the freeze-thaw cycles that can transfer to that. And I'll just say that it has done very well 
in that dynamic of survivability for the winter and, and being able to be planted later. That's another thing. I think the name winter king is very appropriate uh, because it can be planted later. And that's really an aspect that becomes advantageous. And I'll just say right now, I continue to develop this variety. And there'll probably be a second uh, phase of it coming out in, a, in the years ahead. What I would like to do is to be uh, the winter legume ver version of cereal rye. Now, that's a tall order because cereal rye can be planted anytime. But that's the goal I have. So going to continue to test and work at it and see where we go from there. We'll come back to the episode in a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting today's podcast. Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer. Visit MontagMFG.com or call Montag at 712-517-2775. And now, let's get back to the episode with Steve Groff. You mentioned planting date. When do you typically plant it and at what rate? 20 or 30 years ago, the general rule of thumb for my area here and I'm going to say so everyone can, you know, reverse it to their area. First killing frost is average October the 20th in the fall. So just keep that in mind. So our traditional hairy vetch date, you, October the 1st, done, no more. Uh, that's traditional. So let's just say three weeks uh, before the first average killing frost was traditional. I planted uh, the winter king now into November, and it survived. Now, not 100%. But it survives, and it does depend on the winter, but more so than not, we have definitely made a huge leap in its survivability when you plant it that late. So, you know, it's a, it's, farmers have to assume the risk. I mean, if we know exactly what the winter would be, you know, is it, is it going to be warmer than normal, cold than normal? You can make exact decisions, but hey, that's farming. All I'm saying is this variety has the propensity to survive better. There's a higher chance of survivability. You asked about the seeding rates. Here's my uh, comment on that. For people who never planted hairy vetch before, 20 to 25 pounds per acre seeded solid is a good starting rate. I always recommend and would encourage you to plant with something else. And I'm going to bring up another point here. If you plant hairy vetch with uh, spring oats, for example, if you get it planted early enough in the fall that it grows, it will indeed protect the hairy vetch from the cold weather. So that's a strategy to get away with planting a little later and having a higher percentage of survivability. Uh, I will say in the context of all I've said so far, my breeding efforts um, have been in the context of a companion crop of some sort because that's what I'm recommending, so that's what I want to do. But also my comparisons as well with other varieties have been in the same. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to give you all the transparency I can give you here today uh, about the formation of this. So based on that, it depends on what your companion crop is. So if you're doing it with triticale, cereal rye, uh, if you're mixing some other legumes, it, it's going to vary. But let's just say, for instance, this is your first time ever planting hairy vetch, and it's in a mix. 
Let's say we choose 10 pounds or 12 pounds per acre of hairy vetch. Once you grow hairy vetch a year or two, the uh, rhizobia that that produces is in the soil. And uh, I will say it's important to inoculate. That's, what, that's really what I'm talking about here. And I would encourage continued inoculation. Uh, that being said, the hardest year to grow vetch is the first year. Uh, the, the, the succeeding years after that, it grows easier. It grows better. So you can reduce your seeding rates 20, 25% in the subsequent years. The other thing I have to say now, um, and this some for some people, this is negative about hairy vetch. Hairy vetch usually has three to 5% hard seeds, meaning those seeds will not germinate the first year, maybe not even the second year. So when you plant hairy vetch, three to 5% will want to come up later on down the road. So you could say, well, then it'll become a weed. Well, okay, it depends how you look at it. Uh, in the context of growing or commodity crops, corn and soybeans, it's, it's very easy to control. So I'm gonna say there's no issues there. Plus I would say that's actually a gift. It's a bonus uh, that, that is essentially free seed. Uh, so I have planted hairy vetch on every single field of my farm here, and I, I don't have to look hard to find it growing here and there. So I like to say that if you plant hairy vetch, you could go and put it onto the deed of your farm <laughs> that you planted hairy vetch because it's going to be there for years to come. And um, so that's just one thing that comes with it. I will say this is any serious cover cropper does not see this to be a problem. There could be an issue out there in small grains uh, because hairy vetch will grow right with small grains and it'll be mature around the same time most small grains are ready to harvest and the combine will not pick them out. Now there are seed, there are seed separators that will, but you can't do that if your commodity crop, wheat or um, trick out, whatever your grain is, you're, you're, you don't want that. And trust me, the little black hairy vetch seed, you can spot them easily. You're not gonna get away with it if you're selling it. If you're organic in particular and not don't have the availability of herbicides, um, this could be a problem. If you're selling to a market that requires 100% pure seed of grain. So it's important to understand. That being said, there are many small grain herbicides that can take hairy vetch out. So again, it's a management issue. It comes along, you buy hairy vetch, this is the management that you have to do with it. Doesn't matter what variety we're talking about here. Uh, so that's just some a long-winded answer there for your seeding rate question. All right. Well, let's go back to kind of the chronological timeline of this story for a sec, then, and um, tell us a little bit about when you started to see major changes in survivability and what mm -hmm. happened next. Well, the, the first ones was back when someone told me. Um, I'm going to guess the early 2000s in there. It was 2000. Six in 2007, I mentioned about doing that. That was when we, okay, let's do some research on this and let's make this official. And then that was, again, during the time where I was developing the tillage radish, so I got an understanding of how to make a variety. So then I uh, proceeded to get it varietized, uh, got the plant variety protection on it. I think that was around 2010 or so. And, and I, I sold some seed, I grew some seed myself. Uh, but then I was at the point where I knew that it would be better for me to license the variety to someone else that could get it, you know, literally around the nation, around the world, if you will. 
So I made a, an agreement with Smith Seed Services from Halsey, Oregon. They're one of the major seed suppliers to seed dealers. Uh, not every farmer has heard of Smith Seed Services, but they may have used seed to come from them because they, the, they, they do direct marketing of their own brands and stuff. And you can go on their website and see the Winter King, but they sell Winter King through their dealerships located around the country. So I, uh, that's currently where I'm at with it. So uh, I've, I've licensed the variety to them. They take care of it all. And, um, and, and so uh, I continue to develop it, to refine it, to improve it. And um, that's something I love to do. I love to be in the cutting edge of those kind of things uh, uh, and then have someone else be able to market it. So, uh, so that kind of fits my style. All right, let's go back to kind of the climate aspect of this for a second. So obviously, you know, you mentioned the, the lots of freeze-thaw cycles. That's kind of how it came to be. But what climate would you say the variety is best for? Or does it kind of work anywhere? Is it a one, you know, one size yeah. fits all? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So obviously the answer, the, the correct answer to that would be a climate like mine where it was bred and, and done. But but I can tell you this, it's been used all over the country. Um uh and 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 I I haven't heard of um of any many major negative uh feedback on it that it didn't grow i haven't heard of it i haven't heard of any uh like i said uh, again it's not like like any any variety out there anybody who claims they're the best of the best they're they're fooling themselves i'm just making the claim that this is a pretty good one here one of the best for for anywhere in the country you know maybe in the south i don't know if it's gonna have that trait it's gonna be helpful or not uh, but it, it grows in the South, I can tell you. But the trait that it's known for won't need to be utilized uh, if you're, you know, in the in the you know I twenty I ten corridor. Uh, so again, you can hear I'm not a very good salesman. Uh, I just I'm a farmer. I like to say it like it is. But uh, the variety has performed well in those colder uh, colder climates. Uh, and and I would say too, there's there's just some limitations to cover crops that we all know. Because if you have uh, planted, let's just say, late in October in North Dakota, and there's no snow cover, and it's 30 below zero and windy, I don't think it'll survive. But uh, I'm just giving you the, the no, no vetch is going to survive in that, in, that, in that situation. And then uh, in terms of termination, I know you mentioned the, the crimper and then also herbicide, but what's the best way to terminate it? That depends on what the objective of the grower is. Uh, cost of your, of course, if you're organic, you have you don't have a choice. Uh, pretty much a roller crimper. If you're no-till, any organic person, probably if they work with vetch, knows it's it's either no-till or moldboard plow with vetch because it's such a tangly mess that if you just disc it, it can be difficult to plant anything through. Uh, so yeah, it certainly has worked. Um, but I I will say that. Um, you know, any variety of hairy vetch has to be delayed for roller crimping until it's full bloom. Uh, it, it will tend to come back, especially if it's uh, on the wetter side. And that's just simple cover crop management there. Most, most people, we're at the point now, there's been enough of research, enough of articles, enough of farmers who have experience to actually know that. Then I like to say, you know, with, with roller crimping, a little bit of herbicide goes a long way. And so it, I would also say with herbicides, you don't need any crimping. That plant just collapses. I mean, it's so 
fragile uh, unless you have it with a cereal rye or a grain, any grain, um, then it climbs up and then you have to deal with the, with the other part there. Then you will have to roll it so it doesn't shade out the crop after you plant it. So again, it varies a lot to answer your question. Uh, it's going to have to depend on what the objectives of the farmer is, decide what to do. There, there's a lot of options. Sure. Have you found certain cash crops to be better uh, than others in terms of planting them after the veg? Yeah. Actually, for, for one thing, when I first was introduced to Harry Vetch in 1994, uh, it was uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. Arif Abdul-Baki working at the USDA, Beltsville, Maryland, in no-till tomatoes. That's where I first heard about it. And that's when I started doing this. And he said something that at first I didn't know to believe it or not, but I've come to believe it. There's something almost magical about a tomato planted after Harry Vetch. And I've done the plots with and without Harry Vetch with others, and you can just see it to the row. Uh, so that is really, really cool to see. So tomatoes and Harry Vetch. Uh, corn it does well. It's a legume. It fixes a lot of nitrogen. Um, and I'm going to say one other thing here that's, that's interesting. I went to Argentina a couple years ago and uh, to, to speak about using cover crops. And when I was there, it was actually planting season, um, and they were planting soybeans into hairy vetch. And I said, why are you doing this? Because we have found soybeans do very well after like cereal rye. Uh, soybeans are a legume. They don't need the nitrogen necessarily. And their comment was they get paid on protein content of their soybeans. That's a that's a payment bonus you can get. And the hairy vetch, because there's nitrogen there, bumps up their protein a couple points in their soybeans. So their preferred cover crop before soybeans is hairy vetch. I had never known that before. And I thought that was very interesting to, to learn that. And it, and it, uh, it, it could be something that our, our American counterparts here should try or at least mix it with uh, cereal rye if you can get it planted uh, in the fall. So, so that was interesting. Now, uh, some know that I also grow hemp, industrial hemp, CBD hemp. And uh, I was told numerous times by people who knew and literature I read that hemp has a very similar nitrogen, excuse me, fertility need as tomatoes. Well, that fit me well, because I'm a third generation tomato grower. And sure enough, I can tell you today, after five years of growing industrial hemp, that hairy vetch is really good before hemp. And I, again, I've done plots. I've seen it. So to answer your question, there's a lot of crops that benefit from hairy vetch. I, it is my favorite uh, cover crop. I mean, of course, tillage radish is near and dear to my heart, but... Uh, <laughs> It's the queen of cover crops. It's uh, Harry Vetch has been listed to that, and I will say that's absolutely true. I just happen to just happen to have the name Winter King. It fits well. So, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the soil health principles here. So, you mentioned nitrogen, but what does it do for the soil, and, and what are some of the nutrients that it adds for the following crops? Or, I guess, further along that same line, what would you say is the biggest soil health benefit of having that Winter King Hardy Vetch? Well, no doubt about it, it's nitrogen production is the top. Uh, I uh, also felt, and it's a little hard to quantify, that it helps to uh, make available other nutrients. I'm not going to say that's a fact, but I will say that it is probable because 
I've seen um, here at Penn State, and I've seen it elsewhere, studies have shown that hairy vetch will increase uh, corn yields by 20 bushel per acre, and it's not necessarily the nitrogen effect because they also apply nitrogen to it and additional nitrogen just to actually see that. So there's obviously something else going on. And to me, unquestionably, if I had to have one legume cover crop, it would be hairy vetch. To answer the specifics from a scientific standpoint, what else does it do? It does something that I am not totally aware of, uh, but I'm telling you, it, the results are always consistent um, that that hairy vetch brings to us. So that's, again, I think why it's become a fairly popular cover crop. And, and this is where I addressed one of the weaknesses is you can't plant it later into the fall like some other covers. And that's what I tried to develop here with this Winter King variety. You mentioned that um, you're kind of still doing some more research on on new versions of it. Um, is there a set number of, of, you know, additional breeding cycles that you're hoping it'll take before it's ready? Or I guess what's the timeline look like for that? Um, I'm not going to say the timeline because I don't know. Uh, uh, I would say in a couple years, uh, maybe I'll say a couple servers, two to three years is what I'm going to just say. Don't hold me to it. Um, but I, I have seen that it has advanced. I can tell you that. Uh, but, you know, when you work with nature, uh, it's and, and biology and everything like that. It's it's not an exact science. Um, you know, I want it to be unique, better, uh, an improvement enough that it's that it's noticeable. But I'm also aware that it depends on the given winter, the given area, if you're going to notice a difference. In other words, a mild winter, you may see no difference with any hairy vets variety, let alone mine and my improvement coming along. So again, that's why. Farmers, I think, understand that when it's explained to them. Uh, but when you uh, when you make a claim that it's improved, the only way you're going to see the improvement is when you have a somewhat challenging year. Uh, so that's just something I'm going to put out there to understand, um, and and that's just important to to have that information uh, to know. That's why I'm not in a hurry to get an update, uh, but. I'm also, see, I'm, I'm getting close. All right. And uh, lastly, I guess, what would you say is either the most interesting or the most surprising thing that you've learned over the last 20, 25 or so years of, of breeding? It's, it's, I think I can summarize in, in what the theme is here. I did not expect, number one, to develop a hairy vets variety. And then when I decided to, what, what happened, actually, I had to figure out later why it happened. In other words, I did not think, oh, I'm at the perfect spot in the United States to grow a more winter-hardy hairy vetch. That was not even a thought in my mind. So that's probably the what surprised me. And I guess some would say I got lucky. Uh, I would say I just took advantage of an opportunity and so happened to to hit it. Um, so so there there you have it. It's uh it's it it takes its twists and turns, and um, we ended up in the good side of this journey. That's it for this episode of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. Thanks to Steve Groff for that great discussion. The full transcript of the episode, as well as our archive of previous podcast episodes, are available at CoverCropStrategies.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, 
for helping to make this Cover Crop podcast series possible. From all of us here at Cover Crop Strategies, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening and have a great day.